Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. Amen. We are in a series, uh, and this is week seven of our series, and we've titled it Better Together. And uh, what we said uh, in week one is that, man, there are just some things in life, uh, not just in life, but also in the kingdom that are just better together. Let me see how sharp you guys are. Right? Uh, this is better together, the better together quiz. Peanut butter and burgers and Ashford and peaches and some things are just better together. Come on, somebody. Somebody look at us like peaches and what? Come on, somebody. Some things are just better <laughs> together. Some things are just better together. And the same is true in the kingdom. That I need you, you need me. Truth is, we need each other. Amen. And we see, we see um, this idea, this concept, this principle uh, throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, this principle of being better together is one of the secret weapons of the early church. When you read Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42, it gives us this description or this narrative. It gives us this picture, actually, of what the early church looked like. And it says, uh, beginning in verse 42, that the early church continued steadfastly. That means they prioritized these things, right? That means they were committed to this way of life. Uh, they continued steadfastly, number one, in the apostles' doctrine. Uh, that means the word of God. Most times when we think about secret weapons and, and walking in power and walking in authority, man, at the top of the list, man, we run to the word of God, right? Because the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And the early church understood how important the word of God was, and so they prioritized the word of God. But, 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 but how many realize if all you have in your hand is a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail? Sometimes, right, we need to be able to wield more than one weapon, we need to have dexterity with more than one weapon. So, so, so the early church had this first weapon, this primary weapon called the sword of the spirit or the word of God. But they had a second weapon where it says that they continued steadfastly the apostles' doctrine and in prayer. All right? so, 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 so they were students of the word, but they were also people of prayer. And because they were students of the word and people of prayer, the scripture says that they were a prevailing church, that they were a triumphant church, and they walked in victory individually and corporately, right? They walked in, uh, 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 they were an overcoming church and, and triumphant. And, 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 but but there's, it goes on to give us a third weapon, uh, which is often ignored. Uh, a weapon that the church has made optional but as we study scripture, we find that it is absolutely essential. It is non-negotiable. And that third weapon, that third tool that the church had in their toolbox was a weapon called unity. Everybody say unity. unity. The word that's used in Acts chapter 2 is, is a Greek word, koinonia, uh, that's translated fellowship. That means they were all in the same place, all doing the same thing. But it just goes beyond the fact that they like spending time with each other. Because the truth is, sometimes we can confuse proximity for unity. Just because you're in the same place with the same people doesn't necessarily mean that you have a common agenda or a common vision. But the early church understood this weapon called unity transcended just proximity. 
How many of you realize that you can be alone in a crowd? Uh, uh, how many realize that you can live under the same roof and not have unity? How many realize that you can live, be under the same covers? I went in. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I just went in. And, 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 and not have unity. Not so with the early church. Uh, because the early church understood the power of koinonia, they understood the power of fellowship, they understood the power of unity. Now, I am extremely grateful for everything the Bible promises that I can do by myself with God. For instance, James chapter 5 says that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Said that was a man named Elijah who was subject to like passions as we are. He was no different than we are, but he prayed that God would hold back the rain for three years and it didn't rain. And after three and a half years, he prayed that God would send the rain and break the drought, and God sent the rain. Elijah did that. I'm thankful what the scripture says that we can do as men and women of God who are connected to God. But notice what the scripture says, not about the power of one, but the power of two. The scripture says that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. Imagine what's possible when you and I, come on somebody, high five in the spirit. There is an exponential uh, there's an exponential power, there is exponential potential that is released if any two of you will agree as touching anything. That's Matthew chapter 18. So the scripture shows us what's, power, what's possible when we go through life alone, but it also teaches us that the possibilities are infinitely greater when we agree. And that's why the scripture says we're better together. Again, Matthew chapter 18 says, if any two of you will agree as touching anything on earth, it shall be done of our father who is in heaven because we're better together. Uh, secret weapon. In Psalm 133, it says how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The last verse in that Psalm says, it says because it is there that God commands the blessing. Where does God command his blessing? He commands his blessing in a place where there is unity. It is true for the church, but it's also true for your house because we are better together. In fact, Jesus, I'm sorry, God said it this way in Genesis 1. And this really, I think it, it speaks to those of us who say, I don't need nobody but God. Come on, that was confirmation that came from somebody's phone just now. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I'm working with something this morning. Uh, 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 um, for those of us who said, all I need is Jesus. Yet the God who says, the God we claim is all we need has already said to us, it was not good for the man to be alone. God said that. Because God created us to be interdependent, to be communal and to be societal. So that word, that secret weapon that this that the early church acknowledged was this secret weapon called unity. Uh, the Greek word is koinonia. It means fellowship. It means 
close fellowship. It means close association. Now, let me tell you the problem with that word. The problem with close association means I got to get up close to you. And if I get up close to you, I run the risk of seeing your imperfections. Uh, Not only that, I run the risk of allowing you into my world to see how broken I am. And so most of us in the church now uh, have learned to love from a distance. But how many of you realize that there can be no birth without conception and there can be no conception without intimacy? And most of us pray and ask God to birth dreams and birth visions and do great things through us, yet we're not willing to do the first thing, which is intimacy. In Zambia, you've heard me say this, and I'm sure you've heard it or seen it all over social media. In Zambia, there's a proverb where they say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, bring others with you. Because we're better together. So, so, so today, today, uh, uh, I want to talk about this concept uh, called friendship. Mm. Uh, I want to talk about this concept called friendship. And I want to see what the Bible has to say about this thing called friendship. Because I know what Facebook got to say. I don't even got to know you for you to be my friend on Facebook. I could be so fixated on having a thousand friends, 2,000 friends, 5,000 friends, that when I see a friend request, I just click it. And I say, oh, yeah, they're my friend. And somebody who's never met me can request uh, that I be their friend, and all I got to do is click on that uh, little button that says accept, and all of a sudden, now I got a thousand friends that I never call, never talk to, never see, but I stalk. (laughs) I'm talking to some Facebook stalkers in the room this morning just to see how you living, how they living. That's one of the most depressing things in the world, man. The temptation of comparison. And what we do, though, what we do is we compare our behind-the-scenes life to everybody else's highlight reel. Let me tell you what you see on Facebook. Everything you see on Facebook is filtered. All we see is the best part of who those people are. We don't see what happens after dark. We don't see what happens when they shut their door. And we, come, we get into this fixation of comparing what we see on Facebook from our so-called friends to the things we wish were happening in our own life. Mm. But what I want to talk about now, because we Christians, right, we, we love the word of God. We like to do things God's ways. I just want to talk about what the Bible has to say about what real friendship looks like, because ultimately we're better together. I need you. You need me. Uh, Before I go any further, though, let me level the playing field. Y'all ready for this? Let me just level the playing field. 
and, and, and just indulge me for a second because I, I just want you to say this after me, and, 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 and it, you'll get it by the time we're done. Just, just say this after me. The world is filled with imperfect people, and I am one of them. So for those of us who have struggled with imperfect people, this morning I believe God wants to bring us into the recognition that we are imperfect too. Just as needy of grace and mercy as the people we withhold grace and mercy from. Did y'all hear what I said? Just in case you think this is just uh, 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 my imagination, the scripture says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when we say the world is filled with imperfect people and I'm one of them, that's Romans 3.23 for you. And the thing, the very thing that keeps us away from meaningful relationships is the very thing that we need. The imperfect people that we're unwilling to forgive. The imperfect people that we're unwilling to extend grace to are the same people that we may need grace and mercy from. And one day I realized, studying the book of Jonah, (laughs) that God is madly in love with people that you might despise. Did you ever consider that? That the person I don't want to talk to, the person I don't like, the person I stopped visiting, God is desperately in love with. And, 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 not only that, he wants to use you to fix them. Because in using you to help fix somebody you don't like, you gonna get fixed in the process. Because in order for God to use you to fix them, you first have to overcome something called pride. And maybe God has placed them in your life to reveal reveal the pride in your heart. What if that toxic relationship exists for one reason and one reason only is to bring the junk in your heart to the surface? What if that one person that's that thorn in your flesh is God's fiery furnace? Isn't that what they do with with, with gold? Throw it in that furnace and heat it up. Right? And then when you heat up the furnace, uh, all the bad stuff rises to the top. What if that seemingly toxic person exists to reveal something in your life that God wants to expose. Just say, what if? Mm. All right. So let's talk about friendship. Y'all ready? All right. Uh, uh, Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Actually, this will be on the screen. It will be reading from the New Living Translation of the Scripture. Somebody say we're better together. 
we're better together. It's just the truth of God's word. It's just the truth of God's word. And God wants to help us see that the secret weapon that the enemy is keeping us from is this weapon called unity because there's so much more that we can do together. There is exponential power that is made available to us together. And yeah, there's certain things you can do by yourself, but man, together, there is an exponential increase in your potential and your power. Uh, so uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, uh, verses 1 through 4, we'll start reading that shortly. But here's, here's a dictionary definition of the word friend, just in case you're wondering. And man, I think Houdini was right back in the day. Come on, somebody. Y'all laughing already. Y'all knew where I was going, man. No, really, they, they had an honest question, man. They were like, friends, how many of us have them? I mean, really, that's an honest, I, I see your, I see your, 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 you can hear the beat already. You hear the beat already. Remember that dude with the white shorts, with the long white socks and the white boots? What was he thinking, man? <laughs> and that was fly back in the day, though. Or at least he thought so. Uh, uh, Friends, how many of us, how many of us have them? And and, and we laugh about it, but honestly and truly, honestly and truly, if you were to think about it, how many of us really have friends that make us better? Okay. Before you answer that, let's, 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 uh, let's, let's look not only to the definition, uh, dictionary definition, but we'll look at a biblical definition of what friends look like. So a friend is defined as a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. Notice, a friend is a person who is attached, come on somebody, boot up, to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. Number two, a person, a friend is a person who gives assistance. A friend is a patron or a supporter. Number three, a person, a friend is a person who is on good terms with another. A person who is not hostile. Dictionary definition. So, okay, yeah, I, I, I get that. Uh, but the, the more I read it, the more, I don't know, what's your name, sir? Timothy. Timothy, the more I read it, I began to struggle. Because every definition that we're given of what a friend is, is based on something temporary. How many of you realize that being on good terms with somebody is temporary? How many of you realize that someone who is not hostile toward you today could be hostile toward you? Let's go back to the first definition. A friend is a person who is attached to another by what? Feelings of affection. How many of you realize, hey, that feelings of affection can and will change because you can go from being lovey-dovey one day to saying, get out my face. 
if this is the extent of what friendship is, if this is the foundation and the basis of our friendships, we are in trouble. Because how many of you realize that feelings, like my wife says, do not have a brain? Fickle. And if my friendship is based on my feelings of affection or personal regard, that means I hold you in high esteem. That changes too. You can hold me in high esteem until you realize I got a dirty car. Which I don't, by the way. Just so y'all know, let me go on record as saying. You ain't going to find no Burger King bags, no straws, no two-year-old fries, no sticky ketchup packets in between the console. Your regard for somebody else could change. What does that do to the friendship? What I'm trying to communicate to you is Houdini was absolutely right. Because most of us have friendships based on these dictionary, cultural definitions of what friendship really is. And every single one of these definitions is subject to change. Now, let me tell you this. What the Bible has to say about friendship is contradictory to what culture has to say about friendship. And what God wants for us is for us to have biblical friendships that are based on something much stronger and more stable and more reliable than emotions, which are subject to change. More, more stable. Oh, yes, the word. Y'all hear it? Y'all hear it? Can y'all hear it? More, more stable than other people's performance. Because I'm going to be your friend as long as you perform to my expectations. But the biblical definition of friendship goes much deeper than that. And I'm beginning to ask myself the question that Houdini asked friends, how many of us have them? Come on, somebody. All right. So all of that was my introduction. Y'all ready for, for my point number one? Y'all think I'm joking, right? <laughs> no? Okay. Y'all, y'all know I'm, I'm, I mean that, right? Yeah. So, so we'll introduce this and finish this up. Timothy looking at all the city church people is like, is he serious? <laughs> Timothy like, I can't tell if he's playing or if he's serious. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious, Timothy. No, I'm teasing. I can't give it all to you. I'll just go give, I'll just go give, I'm just going to tease you. Little teaser. Little teaser. Y'all ready for this? We'll pick this up next week. So um, I am a lifelong learner. At least I like to think I'm a lifelong learner. So I like to learn from people who have gone ahead of me and done it successfully. So there are a couple of pastors here in our city, well, in Frisco, uh, that, uh, that I meet with often, and uh, they help me avoid some of the mistakes they made uh, because they've been pastors for a number of years. In fact, they have a very unique model of pastoring because um, uh, uh, for the men, I think you'll understand this, you'll appreciate it, because at their church, they have two senior 
pastors. Two senior pastors? You put two alpha males in the same role. Not senior pastor and associate, not senior pastor and senior executive pastor, two senior pastors. I see y'all got to explain this to me, man. Y'all got to explain this to me, how y'all do this. What, what, what is the, the basis for what you do? I'm going to tell you what the three things are, and we're just going to focus on one today. All right? I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you avoid the friendship trap that we often get into. And make sure that going forward, you have quality relationships, quality friendships. Three things, three things. They said the only reason this thing works, number one, is because of implicit trust. He says, I know that Paul will never do anything to hurt me. And John and Jim says, uh, I mean, and Paul says, I know that Jim will never do anything to hurt me. Implicit trust. Uh, Without that implicit trust, he said we couldn't do this. I know that they both know that neither one would do anything to undermine the other. Number two, number two, number two, uh, this is not in the notes, but number two, he said they have a complementary skill set. That means one person is good at doing something the other isn't. And so they both have their unique lanes and those lanes never cross. One person is not competing to be like this other person, and the other person isn't competing like, to be like the other person. They are secure in what they do well, and they're not trying to be like the other. Oh, Lord, I wish we had friendships like that. Just that alone, where we're not competing with our friends. Oh, you got a new Louis Vuitton? I'm going to get me more. Yeah, yours is from last season. I'm going to get the one that's coming out for that spring collection. I saw that. And we claim we got friends, but we competing with them. No, he said complementary skill set. I know what I do well. He knows what he does well. And the two never cross. And then number three. He said the reason we can do this is because of equal competence, equal competence. He said we have very different styles of communication, very different styles of delivery, but we are equally competent. So when Paul gets up to preach, it's not like the people saying, man, I wish Jim were up there. And it's not like when Jim is up to preach, people are like, man, I wish Paul were up there because they are equally competent regardless of, in spite of their differences. Are y'all with me? So if we're going to have good relationships, let's start with this thing called implicit trust. These people walking around with you, do you trust them implicitly? Or do you walk around with your one good eye on them? (laughs) Come on, somebody. I know all of us got at least one person in our circle, and you keep your one good eye on them all the time. Who knows what I'm talking about? Just one good eye. Just that one good eye. That's what you keep on it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Come on, somebody. Okay. Implicit trust. Let's, let's look at what that looks like. I'm going to go fast. Uh, we'll pick up this, pick this up next week and finish it off. Okay? Implicit trust. First Samuel, chapter 18. We'll begin reading at verse number one. Let's go to verse number one. 
It says, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the he there is David, the son of Jesse, who has, who has now become a national champion, right? He's a household name because this 16-year-old boy, all right, uh, took on the burden and the weight of a nation, challenged the champion of the Philistines, overcame him by the grace of God, and now he's catapulted from obscurity into notoriety. Just that quick. Went from being a shepherd boy to being the champion of Israel. Come on, somebody. How many of you realize that the the giants that you're willing to confront and conquer will define you? Because without Goliath, David is only a shepherd boy. I'm talking to somebody now. Hmm? The giants that you are willing to confront will define you and will shift you from where you are into where you ought to be. So so now, this shepherd boy is in the courts of Saul, the king. Notice what the scripture says. It says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Now, that's New King James. Do you have that in NLT, New Living Translation? Because the language, I like the language in the New Living Translation. If we can pull that up instead at verse number one. Because I like the way the language reads in the New Living Translation. Okay, no worries. Does anybody have a New Living Translation on their phone? Yes, sir. Can I borrow your phone for a second? Thank you, Damon. All right, here it is. And it says, and after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan. Notice, he talked to Saul, and then he met Jonathan. Now, now Jonathan is Saul's son. So David speaks to Saul, and then he meets Jonathan, the king's son. Notice what it says. It says, there was an immediate bond between them. Immediate. Notice, why? Anybody see why? It says, for Jonathan loved David. Who initiated it? Jonathan. For Jonathan loved David. It says, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And notice, and Jonathan, notice who the initiator is again. And Jonathan made a solemn pact. Another word for that is a covenant with David. This was a covenant relationship because he loved him as himself. Who initiated it? Jonathan. And notice what happens next. Jonathan sealed the pact. He sealed the covenant by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Ah, Do I have time to work this thing? Implicit trust. Implicit trust. Notice what's happening now. David uh, is in the courts of Saul. He has been anointed the next king of Israel. He meets Jonathan, and the scripture says Jonathan and David had an immediate bond because Jonathan loved him. And then Jonathan initiated a covenant with David, which included him removing his robe, removing his armor, and surrendering his weapons. 
This is a beautiful picture of what implicit trust looks like. Let me just read this for you. By giving up his tunic, his weapons, and his armor, Jonathan was saying two things. Y'all ready for this? Number one, Jonathan was saying, I am defenseless against you. Most of us go into relationships guarded. We go into relationships with our dukes up. But, but, but Jonathan meets David and has an immediate bond. And the scripture says, Jonathan loved David. Can, can I pump the brakes here? Because I asked the same question when I was in Maryland last week. Uh, is trust something that must be earned or is trust something we give? Yeah. Y'all, y'all, y'all think about that for a second. <laughs> y'all think about that for a second. Somebody say earn, somebody say given. Well, we'll come back to that. Was there anything that David had done prior to meeting Jonathan that would say, Jonathan, you should love this guy as a friend? Do we have any evidence of it? In fact, let me, let, me, let me pump the brakes and speak to the character of Jonathan. How many of you realize that in order for David to become king, he has to go through Jonathan? How many of you know that in a kingdom there is something called succession? And that if you're the king, who's the heir apparent? Your son. Your daughter. How many of you realize that in order for David to fulfill the plan and purpose that God had for his life, he had to go through Jonathan? No, 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 no. David didn't do anything. This passage speaks to the character of Jonathan. Because Jonathan had every reason to be insecure and offended by the fact that the guy who is going to succeed his daddy is in his house. I'm talking about those of us who go through life insecure. Threatened. Let me promise you, you will not have a quality relationship going through life threatened by other people. The truth is, David did nothing to earn Jonathan's trust. Jonathan loved him. Notice what the scripture says. If a man would have friends, he must first do what? Mm -hmm. I know we quote that scripture all around, but the truth is, we don't show ourselves friendly unless people earn our trust. And how better would the church and our world be if we chose to extend trust before somebody earned it from us? No, David was saying, look, man, man, I just met you. But even if you wanted to take me out on your way to the throne, I am defenseless against you because I give you my armor. Most of us go into relationships protecting ourselves. David, Jonathan said, let me me just set the tone for what this covenant relationship is going to look like. Let me set the pace for what this friendship is going to look like. 
I am defenseless against you. Now you can take that and do whatever you want with it. You can see it as a weakness. You can see it as an opening. You can see it as something you want to use to destroy me. But I choose because of who I am, my character, to come into this friendship, to come into this covenant without my dukes up. Most of us don't realize that we set the tone of the relationship by how we enter into it. You enter into the relationship with no trust. So how do you expect to build trust? He says, I am defenseless against you. Notice the second thing he did. He, 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 gave, him, he gave him his weapons. You know what Jonathan was saying? Jonathan wasn't saying, okay, I'm going to give you my armor, and I got no way to, to really defend myself. Uh, but here's the second thing he said. I'm going to give you my sword, because in giving you my sword, I am powerless to harm you. Y'all see that? He said, no, okay, so you got my armor, but bruh, just in case you start tripping, I got this sword in my belt behind my back. And if you think you can take me out because I ain't got armor, I gave you my armor, I got me a little dagger right here, bruh. Don't get it twisted. I got something for you. No. And that's how most of us go through relationships. I got me a little something. I'm going to get you back. Oh, yeah. I gave you my armor, but I got this sword right here. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> Try me, bruh. <laughs> y'all know how y'all do, ladies? Them earrings start coming off. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Eyelashes start coming off. Be like... No, no. David said, not only do I have no armor, I have no weapon. To hurt you. It's called implicit trust. You know why? Because trust is the currency of authentic relationships. That, that's, that's how you transact business. That's how you transact authentic relationships. It's based on trust. And what if trust is something I choose to give not because of what someone has proven, but because of who I am. The scripture says that Jonathan chose to love David. Jonathan initiated the covenant because he loved David. What did David do to earn it? What did David do to deserve it? In fact, if Jonathan should have done anything, he should have kept him at arm's length. But he chose otherwise. Now, this is where I close, and there's going to be one closing today. Come on, Timothy. Trust that closing. Y'all give me some implicit trust on that close. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I'm going to get ahead of myself. This was another point in my notes. Mm. But, but let me help you. Let me just help. I, I'm helping you as I'm helping me. I'm helping you as I'm helping me. It's a legendary songwriter. I grew up listening to his music. In fact, as a kid, when I played in the band, we would do all of his cover tunes, man. All the way from Kingston, Jamaica. 
Bob Marley. Notice what Bob said about friendship. He said, the truth is, everybody is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. Y'all hear that? Y'all hear that? I don't care how much they love you. I don't care how much they like you. I don't care what they say. If you are another imperfect human being interacting with another imperfect human being, at some point somebody feeling going to get hurt. The question we must ask ourselves is, is this somebody worth suffering for? Y'all didn't hear me. You know what Jonathan was saying? Jonathan realized that the world is filled with imperfect people, and I am one of them. I realize David is imperfect. But if I want to enter into a covenant with this other imperfect human being, I have to recognize, I have to ask myself, is this someone worth suffering for? Because everybody, at one point or another, may hurt you. But your character has to see, is this a relationship? Is this a friendship? Is this a covenant worth suffering for? The truth is, in the 21st century church, we don't want to feel no pain, never. Yet Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He said, no, 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 no. I can't walk like Jesus. I can't talk like Jesus. I can't be like Jesus if I only want his resurrection power and not his suffering. And at some point, if you are going to make the choice to interact with another human being, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your feelings. It's going to do something to you. But you have to say to yourself, this is a relationship not just worth suffering for, but worth fighting for. Because the truth is we are better together. And Jesus understood that. That's why he restored Peter after Peter denied him three times at his most vulnerable hour. I see people put this on Facebook all the time. If somebody can walk out your life, they ain't a part of your destiny. I know some of y'all done liked it before. That's the one that gets the most likes because we respond out of our hurt. But if that statement were true and you're Jesus, what do you do with Peter? Because Peter was part of Jesus' destiny. He was part of the destiny of the church. And Jesus didn't only restore Peter, he made him the head of the church. Somebody who denied him three times and abandoned him at his most vulnerable hour. Okay, y'all don't like that one? Let me try one more. What about the prodigal son's father? How are you going to take all my inheritance and squander it on riotous living? And then I see that knucklehead son coming back, and then I run to meet him? And I don't make him a servant? His son came back and said, I don't even deserve to be your son. Make me a servant. He said, no, nah, bro. You're still my son. 
The truth is, everybody is going to hurt you. But you got to ask it, is this a relationship worth suffering for? Y'all don't like that one? Out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Here's the last one. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, got into a big fight with his ministry partner, a guy named Barnabas. It was so heated that they stopped doing ministry together. Paul went his way, Barnabas went with his way. And the reason they were fighting was over a young man named Mark. Paul said, this, this young man is useless. He's a crybaby. We can't take him with us. Yet at the end of Paul's life, and y'all know how important our last moments on earth are. The last moments of his life, as he's writing, as he's writing to Timothy, notice what he says. He says, he says, bring Mark to me because he's profitable to me for ministry. Hold up. This young man you wrote off, now all of a sudden, he's worth something? For those of us who have always thought, who have always thought if somebody can leave you and mistreat you, they, 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 they're not a part of your destiny, it is a lie from the pit of hell because we live from our hurt. And all we want is the resurrection power of Jesus, but we don't want the fellowship of his sufferings. Because the truth is, in the fellowship of his sufferings, Jesus restored not just one disciple. He restored all 11 of them. Say 11, I thought it was 12. Well, one was so overtaken with guilt that he killed himself. But Jesus didn't only restore Peter. He had to restore Thomas, who denied him. Uh, man, unless I see him and touch him. What about all the stuff Jesus told you for three years? No, the truth is, we're better together. We'll talk about this some more next week. And part of what God wants to do with every head bowed, every eye closed. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at If you were encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text citychurchtv and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.